You're listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn, where you'll find uplifting and practical advice for everyday living, creative inspiration for do-it-yourself projects, and recommendations for books and resources that will encourage you to embrace your life repurposed. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn. Welcome to another episode of Life Repurposed. This is episode number 83, and I have a guest today. I'll tell you about her in just a second, but what I want to do is invite you to check out the show notes at episode 83, and you'll find that at michellerayburn.com slash 83. There you're going to find links to the things we talk about in this episode, and also to social media accounts for my guest and resources that you can get. So you want to go to michellerayburn.com slash 83 for the show notes. Now, about my guest. Grace Fox has been a career global worker for nearly 30 years, and we talked about some of Grace's journey and what it was like to have a difficult experience happened while she was serving overseas with her husband. So she's going to share about that story. We also talked about how our trust in God comes into play when we're struggling with fear or doubt. So we talked about that a little bit and what we can do to keep our focus on how we can trust God in the middle of those experiences. So Grace talked about her own personal experience and how she has learned to turn away so much from the what-if questions and really focus on what she knows to be true about God's faithfulness. Grace is an author. We'll talk about one of her resources. She's a speaker, and she and her husband have been married for nearly 39 years, and they have three married kids and nine grandchildren. They have an unusual living situation, so listen in as we begin the interview where Grace shares where she lives. Here's my interview with Grace Fox. Thank you, Grace, for joining me on Life Repurposed. I'm really excited to hear more about your story because I really don't know much of it. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Michelle. I am really happy to be here with you. Grace reached out to me as well, we're both members in a group of writers called Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. And so Grace reached out and saying, we call ourselves Asa Sisters. And so she introduced herself that way. Then I read her bio and it says that Grace lives on a sailboat. So I want to know more about that. How did you end up living on a sailboat? It's a funny story. It's a God story all the way. I grew up on the prairies of Southern Alberta, but I actually went to work at a summer camp when I was in my early 20s. I thought I'd spend a summer there, and I ended up being the the director for the summer of the Leadership in Training Teenage Girls, and a fellow named Gene Fox was working with the guys. So that's how we met. And uh, I married him later, a few months after that, but he grew up on the waterfront and he is like a waterfront guy. So love sailing. That was all foreign to me, but um, zip ahead a few years. We had a daughter in the hospital at one point and, and while she was there, the doctor told us, go take an afternoon off and you know, she's going to be fine. So we went down to a waterfront marina in Vancouver, British Columbia for the afternoon. We'd always heard about it, had never seen it. So we went down there and just started walking around. My husband said, wouldn't it be fun to live on a boat someday? And at that <laughs> time, we had a 27-foot sailboat. We were working at a Christian camp. The camp actually used our boat more than we did, <laughs> um, for all intents and purposes. But my husband had developed a sailing camp for teens and adults. And so he's all about living on a sailboat. Wouldn't that be fun? And I 
thought it'll never happen. So but I don't need to pop his bubble. So I just said, yeah, that would be great fun because it'll never happen. <laughs> and, you know, 20, about 20 or 22 years later, we had another chance to just walk about a marina killing time for on one afternoon. There were four boats for sale and mm-hmm. we were allowed in, didn't know didn't know at that point that you just don't go into a boat without a broker. But these these boats were for sale. So we went to the office and we said to the gal there, can we look inside? And she said, I don't have a broker available today, but I'll just unlock them and let you in. <laughs> we didn't know that that never happened. So we just went in and looking around it. We were on a 44 foot sailboat at one point. I looked around and I don't know what got a hold of me except the Holy Spirit. And <laughs> and I just, I out of my mouth came the words, you know what, Jean? We talked about doing this like 20 years ago. That wouldn't that be neat someday? And we're not getting any younger. We are more fit now than we've ever been in 20 years because we've been so intentional about our health as we're getting older. And I said, if, if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. And then I thought, what in the world did I just say? And he <laughs> looked at me like, I can't believe you just said that. Are you serious? So you know what, we we started moving ahead with it and just asked God to protect us in the process. We went looking around at marinas where we could live aboard. Every marina in about a 200-mile radius said, it's a seven-year waiting list. Mm. But you know what? God put us on a boat that was beyond our expectations for a deal that was beyond our expectations. And in a couple of months, we had the exact spot to live aboard and to be moored at that we looked at. Mm-hmm. And had said, if we could live anywhere we wanted, it would be that spot right there. So it was within two months, not seven years. It was the exact spot that we thought would be the best to live at. It was the boat of our dreams wow. for a price that we could afford. It was like everything that needed to happen happened. And that's why we're on a boat now. It's been almost three years. But mm-hmm. but through all of that, God has broken open ministry in the marina wow. to to mariners, to people who really, they, they don't even go out on their boats, most of them, because they, they don't, they're not, they're not of that mindset, but they're living on boats because it's cheaper than living in a house in the Vancouver area. A lot of them are unemployed or they're retired truck drivers. Marijuana is huge. Alcohol is a huge part of the culture, but that's where we live and we are wow. loving it absolutely loving it I can't imagine being that close like living on the water like that either you know that would be beautiful I've been up in the area on the Washington side and I know it's beautiful I I know that the cost of living is high there and so I couldn't imagine uprooting from rural Wisconsin and being able to afford a home but I love that solution of being able to live on a boat yeah, yeah, I'm sure we, it has its moments when it's it not as glamorous. <laughs> like when it's January and the, the river, we live on a river, when the river is freezing, so the ice chunks are banging on the hull and your <laughs> furnace goes out. So yeah. we've had times like that, yep, where it's been testy, yeah. but but there is such joy. I feel such a joy in my heart knowing that we obeyed. And it was tough. Yeah. We downsized. We purged almost all of our earthly belongings to get onto that boat mm-hmm. and um, just let things go. We have no idea how long we're going to be there, but we know we're there until God says, okay, your time here is done, and now I'm going to move you somewhere else. Yeah. And and there's joy in obedience. Yeah, I was thinking about the downsizing part. I live in what used to be a church, 
and a parsonage. So there's a parsonage attached to this 100-year-old church. So we have a ridiculous amount of space because we have a ranch house with a big church attached to it. And so when you have that much storage, you collect some things you don't need. So I'm imagining maybe that would be nice to be able to just get rid of everything and simplify. I pretty much need a few books, a computer... I don't need all the stuff I have. So I love that. Well, your journey has included a lot of adventure. And one of the things that I know you had mentioned before we came on air was that you went through a hardship way back when you were serving as missionaries. And I'd like to talk about that. I'd like to hear about this challenge that you went through that helped you learn how to trust God more deeply when you experienced something with your newborn daughter, I believe. Mm-hmm. I I credit this experience with changing my life. I think it really laid the foundation for who I am today um, and for my love for the Word of God and my desire to help others love it and apply it too. And so what happened was my husband and I married in February of 82. When we met, he was already on his way to... Um, becoming a short-term, a three-year volunteer for a Christian mission organization in Nepal. And so when we met, we married quite quickly afterwards, and it was, you know, clear that I would go with him. So we we married in February, and in July, five months later or so, we, we landed in Kathmandu as newlyweds. So we didn't go through a language school per se we were part of an experimental program where we just moved in within hours with a Nepalese family learned a little bit of language training every day we walked through a bazaar and we'd practice five or six sentences with the shopkeepers and the community people that followed us and um, that's how we learned the language so by New Year's Eve was our first night in our village that we were assigned to or Gina would work (laughs) on a hydroelectric power project. So there we were. So we had a son born there and then we had a a daughter born. We have three children total, but it was our second child who was born with hydrocephalus, which is too much water on the brain. Mm -hmm. So she was very ill, very ill. And the doctor who delivered her there, an Australian surgeon said, there's nothing that we can do for her here. We also suspect she has heart issues and you have to get back to North America on the first flight um, that you can. And so she was born on a Tuesday and on the Wednesday, I was carried by stretcher back from the mission hospital where we were um, living near at that point. We've been transferred from the village to a mission hospital project when I was six months pregnant. And so, so there we were. So I was carried from the stretcher up to the house And uh, I found out that day as phone calls were being made to try to get an airline ticket, that an airline uh, on the first available flight, which would have been Friday, 48 hours later, they said, because I'd had a C-section to deliver uh, Stephanie, I was considered a medical high risk and they wouldn't issue me a ticket. Mm -hmm. So um, we knew that if we didn't get Stephanie back to North America very soon, she would probably die from all the different complications that they couldn't even fully diagnose there. And so my husband just said, I'm going to take her. He got a ticket for himself. And this was pre 9-11. So mm-hmm. it never would have happened after that. But he was able to wrap her in a blanket. And we sent him back to North America with one bottle of express breast milk and a diaper bag. And this, she was three days old by the time she got on the plane and Jean took her home. So uh, I was left behind for about a week, not knowing if I would see my 
daughter alive again or not. And this is pre video chat too. Oh, absolutely. There was no Skype. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. We were able to get a phone call established mm-hmm. after he got home and to a hospital with her. So one day after she'd been admitted to a hospital, he was able to call and just let me know that she was in hospital care mm-hmm. in a neonatal intensive care unit. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember just laying on the bed after Jane left with her that day and crying and saying, God, it took me two years to get over culture shock there. And now we are into our third <laughs> year. I mean, he had done a brain transplant in me basically about staying there. I had gone through all the culture shock. Oh, I can't do this anymore to, I want to stay. There is no place I would rather be. And then, you know, got to that point And now we were going back to North America. And I just, I laid there and I thought, what was that? What was it all about? We're at almost three years of this. I'm really willing to stay here. I want to stay here now. Mm-hmm. And now we're going back and I don't get it. What is it that you want me to learn through this? And in that moment, uh, I just remember the lyrics to the, to the um, song, the great old hymn, great is thy faithfulness coming mm-hmm. into my mind. And as I went, through those lyrics i remember listening to them and then singing them and great is thy faithfulness oh god my father there is no shadow of turning with thee mm-hmm. i just just not like my yeah. compassions they fail not as thou hast been thou forever will be and then the mm-hmm. chorus great is thy faithfulness i remember thinking wow these words don't promise me that my daughter's going to live Mm-hmm. They don't promise me that even if she does live, she's going to have a really great quality of life per se. But they do promise me that no matter what happens, no matter what direction our life goes, he will be faithful. And I remember uh, this this little poster came into my head too. This back then there was a poster of a a kitten hanging onto a rope, and at the bottom of the rope there was a knot. I don't know if you ever saw that little poster, but there's this kitten with a claws sticking into that knot, right? And just hanging on for dear life. And um, I think the, uh, the lines on the poster that I was familiar with said something like, when all else fails, just tie the knot and hang on. And that's how I felt. It would have been like that little kitten hanging on for dear life to the knot at the end of the rope. I'd come to the end of my rope and I was hanging on, but I was hanging on to the promises of God. Mm-hmm. And those promises were that he would be faithful no matter what. I think there's some of my listeners that have probably been through something that they they can relate. It's not the same thing, but they can relate. And the sense is that they're alone. How did you sense God's presence in that moment? It was an overwhelming sense of God's presence because of how he brought relevant lyrics to my mind and music ministers deeply to me. If I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling blue or whatever, I will go for a walk and I'll take my phone with me. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tune into my favorite praise and music radio station, a local station. And, and I'll just walk and I will listen to that praise and worship music and go to a place where nobody's around and I can sing out loud as I go. And it just lifts my heart, right? And for all my life, as well, as long as I can remember, God has ministered to me deeply through music. And he knew what I needed at that moment and ministered to me through the lyrics of a, a hymn that I'd grown up with that brought me right back to the truth. And the truth mm-hmm. was he would be faithful. So I couldn't rely on my emotions at that time because my emotions right. were all over the wall. 
mm-hmm. but I needed the truth and I needed to put my feet on that solid foundation. So he, it was just this overwhelming sense of his presence with me that um, through, through music. I've had that too. I love how music, it could be new, it could be old. Sometimes it's something from my memories and sometimes it's something new. I was, about a month ago, I had to drive to the doctor for a biopsy and I was trying to tell myself that no matter what the results were, I was going to be okay with it. But I was, I was wrestling with that, you know, like in one moment I was okay with it and the next I wasn't. And I got in my car to drive and uh, the song came out, it's a new one. And one of the main lines is, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It's a Christian song. And I, so I'm driving and thinking, okay, well, that's all I needed in this moment that it's going to be okay. And sometimes it's that piece that someone else's words put to music can speak to me when I don't know what to say, kind of like the same way the Holy Spirit intercedes when I don't know how to pray. That's a huge truth. That is huge, Michelle. I'm really glad you brought that up because that one has brought me so much hope in the last year, even, uh, that there are times when I don't know what to pray, times when all I can pray is, oh, help me, Jesus. But it's during those times when I don't know what to pray. I can't muster anything more than these two-word prayers of help, peace, Mm -hmm. or or Jesus, wisdom, right? Those Mm two-word prayers. But knowing that the Holy Spirit is interceding with groanings that are too deep for words, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. brings huge hope in the midst of feelings of despair. Yeah. Let's talk about what you learned as you came through this. You said this was a turning point in your life. I'd like to know how it affected your future after you experienced, because uh, obviously it was probably a long road of healing for your daughter, mm-hmm. but then also there's something you learned in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my daughter uh, had surgery when she was five days old, put a shunt in her head, but they also discovered that she did have heart a heart defect. When she was when she was two weeks old, I remember seeing her in that NICU room and a cardiac uh, a pediatric cardiologist came in and talked to me and he said that he gave her a month to live because her heart was in such bad shape and she was so ill that she would never get strong enough to have open heart surgery, which which she needed that in order to survive, but um, she she is 35 years old now, and she still has a shunt in her head. We're not sure that she needs it, but because it's positioned and she's got a, a you know apparatus into her brain and whatnot, they don't mess with that. Even if her body's right. not using it, they're not going to go in and take it out unnecessarily. It's not interfering with her. And so uh, she had about 11 surgeries in her first couple of years of life. She had meningitis when she was 11 months old. Mm-hmm. She went through a lot of stuff. But like I said, she's, she's doing quite well even now. And so uh, I, yeah, it was a tough road for the first few years of her life. But I learned that what we believe to be true about who God is makes all the difference. And so like our, our the thoughts that we habitually think influence our beliefs. Our beliefs will influence our behaviors and our behaviors ultimately determine our outcome or our destiny. Mm. And so way back to when 
Stephanie was first born and I was laying on the bed after saying goodbye to her and not knowing if I'd see her alive again or not, I could have let fear take over at that point. If I had, from that point on, habitually entertained thoughts, fearful thoughts of what ifs, and what if she doesn't live? What if she dies? What if she does live? And she, you know, those thoughts did come into my head, all of them. Mm-hmm. But I just did not allow them to camp on the fear part of it. Because if I had, I would have come to that place of developing false beliefs about God. I would have come to that point of doubting his intent toward our family and, and his intent toward my child. And uh, if, if, if he's not trustworthy with that, then how can I trust him with anything? And, you know, one, one thought would lead to another and one belief would lead mm-hmm. to another. And uh, if those kinds of fearful thoughts, doubting God's intent would turn me into a control freak, right? I would try to control mm-hmm. everything about my daughter's life and, and which doctors would see her and, and which therapists I would allow in her life for, for occupational therapy and all the rest of that. Um, I really had to, camp on what I believe to be true about the character of God. Mm-hmm. Either he was faithful in every part of life or he's not. Mm-hmm. He's not faithful in some things and not in others. It either he, he is or he's not. And that became um, the, the foundation from which I approach life and hardships and trials. Yeah. I still ask the question, what if, but I follow it with even if. And that's based on the story from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament of the Bible, where they're standing up against Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to throw them in the fire. And he, they say, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we will trust him. And so I'll ask the what if, I'll, you know, what if this happens? What's the worst thing that could happen? Even if the worst thing happens, I will trust him. And so it's what if, and then even if I have found to be helpful in my mindset. I think it's natural to ask what if questions. Mm -hmm. But we can't, we can't just camp on the fearful side of it, right? It's because we all, fear is a natural thing. Yeah. We, We all encounter fearful thoughts. It, mm-hmm. And that's not sin. That's not anything that we need to feel guilty about. That's just mm-hmm. what happens. But it's yep. those hot, those thoughts that we habitually entertain that will determine the direction that we go with this. And so when they come, if we can identify them as, whoa, wait a minute, this is, this is fear dictating this, right? Mm-hmm. This is fear. So where's that coming from? It's good to, to, to say stop and to, to right. pause and, and to take a look at that. Sometimes what I have found in the past too is to, to write it out on paper and to just say, this is reality. This is the thought that I'm thinking right now. So write it out. And then on the other half of the paper opposite it to write down the truth that counteracts that fear. And so yeah. with me, I could have said, well, what if my daughter dies? Um, a lot of um, young adults that my daughter came to meet later, even at a conference for people with hydrocephalus and spina bifida, she was the only one not in a wheelchair. Hmm. And so uh, I could have thought, well, what if my daughter never walks? Mm -hmm. What if she's never able to do that? Um, 
I could have entertained a fearful aspect of that, or I could have said, like you did, um, you know, well, what if she never is able to walk? Well, even if mm-hmm. she is never able to walk, God is still going to be faithful. Right. Yeah, that's the idea of life repurposed, because not everyone has the same miracle. Not everyone has mm-hmm. God come through in the same way, and we don't understand his ways or his purposes. So I can't answer the why questions. I can't answer why, you know, why was my baby born healthy and somebody else's wasn't? I can't answer that. But I can, like you said, step out in faith and say, I will trust this plan there's something here. There's you're telling you're telling Stephanie's story right now. Therefore, God gets the glory for that. And so that's the beautiful thing of when He repurposes something that we were asking questions about. The other question I think we can ask, and it's a good one to ask, is what can I learn through this, or mm-hmm. what is it that you're trying to teach me? What is it that you want me to get from this? Sometimes I don't know, like. I don't have the answer. It's so long before the answer comes sometimes. And yet that's part of the patience too in the process of knowing I don't have to know the why right now. I don't have to know what he's trying to teach me yet. Sometimes it's obvious. Like like you had, the moment it happened, you were already asking. I think that happens because we've trusted him in the past. Each time we trust and he we, he reveals something about his nature to us, the next time we're more willing to trust if we don't know the reason. And so you were asking that question right away because the longer our faith journey is with the Lord, the quicker we are to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you have in this, but I'm going to trust you through it. And I think we probably have some listeners who are on that brand new journey of faith who haven't yet seen one after another of God's evidence of God's faithfulness. So how can we encourage people who are just taking the first step of like, I'm going to trust God in this? How can we encourage them to continue trusting? Always go back to how God um, reveals himself in the word. So Mm -hmm. it means being in the word on a regular basis. And not just Hmm, I wonder what the word says today. Let's flip a page. I'm going to close my eyes and zero in with my finger and point at a verse, right? But but to read in a systematic way, to develop a, a routine or a pattern of getting through the word because it all fits together in such a beautiful way. And so to begin to understand the word in the in the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so to to understand how God reveals himself that way. Another way is to listen to the stories like you're presenting on your podcast, Michelle, because there's so much to be learned through the stories of those who have followed Jesus and those who have learned. Just like we look in the Bible and we look at the stories of the greats. I look at Joseph and how he sat in prison. He may have wondered what in the world has gone on with my life. one of my favorite stories. Mine too, right? But it says, it says in scripture that even as he was in prison, God was with him. Mm-hmm. Even when it looked to to people looking on like he had done wrong, he knew he hadn't. But still, he was he was paying consequences for something he had never even done, right? Yeah. And it looked like his life had fallen apart. But how God was going to repurpose that. He didn't know it at the time. But later, as he looked back in retrospect, he was able to say, I get it. It was for this reason that God yes. allowed all this to happen in my life, right? 
30 some years he waited to find out why. That lesson took a long time to be revealed. But we learn from reading those stories in the word of God. We learn from the lives of those people who endured. They didn't know how their story was going to end at the time, but we have that privilege of knowing that. And so it's those stories and it's the declarations God makes about himself. And it's through the names of God that are presented in the scriptures that we learn about who he is. And then it's through stories of peers, like, like you're presenting on your podcast, Michelle. So all these different ways that, that he reveals himself to us and that we can learn. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that because I, I could sense your passion and I'm passionate about that too. So I love that. Let's talk about something else that you're passionate about and that is writing. You have written quite a few books, but I want to talk about your latest one because it really ties into exactly what we're talking about right now. You wrote the book called Finding Hope in Crisis, and this is Devotions for Calm and Chaos. I think our minds are all on overload in what's going on in our world around us. So tell us about this devotional book that you've written. Well, this one, it's interesting because two years, more than two years ago, I developed this hankering, if you would say it, to to write a, a devotional for people going through really hard times. And maybe that's because I've been through a few of those hard times. That story about Stephanie is just one of many. But uh, I remember in those places feeling like I, I haven't got it in me to read a long passage of scripture. I can't focus. I don't even remember what day of the week it is, <laughs> let alone be able to read a long passage and then remember what I read. Because I would find myself trying. I needed the encouragement from the word of God. I needed that for my soul. Yeah. But I would read and then I'd read and I'd catch myself reading the same verses over and over again. And nothing was sinking in because my head was not in that space. I was thinking about the emergency at hand and all the stuff that I got to do to cope. Um, you know, but, but uh, I still needed that help. And so this concept of writing a devotional for people in that mindset, where their minds are on overload, where they, they could get the encouragement they needed, but it would be an undoable nugget, mm-hmm. a meditation that's tightly focused with a little verse to go with it and a sentence prayer. And, and, and so I started working on that concept and I presented it to publishers back in 2018 They looked at it with interest, but rejected it for different reasons. And I thought, I'll just set it aside and I'll get back to it later. And I got more and more busy with our overseas ministry, more and more international travel. And you know what? In in 2020, in January, I was talking to a friend who'd gone through a crisis. And during that conversation, the existing title, this Finding Hope in Crisis, just came like a download into my head. It was like, now's the time and here's a title. (laughs) And it was that clear. Then who would have guessed that this pandemic was going to hit just a few weeks later, all my international travels were canceled, speaking at women's retreats, it was all canceled. Now I was home and I had time to pull that proposal out, tweak it with the new title. And um, my agent presented it to several publishers. The one that picked it up said, we had a similar project in the pipeline, but it has fallen through and we've been looking for a substitute. This thing landed oh, on wow. their desk at just the right time. And usually it takes a couple of years to go from contract yes. to release. This took eight months. That was a real fast track in the publishing industry. It was a miracle, I think, because, you know, people need hope. God knows people need hope. And mm-hmm. so it's my desire that through this little book, people 
whose minds are on overload will find that little nugget of encouragement that they need for today. And my, my way of writing about it was just to keep focusing them back to who is God? What are his promises? How do we know we can trust him? Mm-hmm. And, and if we can get a handle on those things, that's what's going to carry us through those really tough experiences that we're going through even now. Yeah. The beautiful thing about a devotional book like that is that Grace, as the author, has curated the content that applies to the topic of finding hope in crisis. And when we're in the middle of that, we don't know where to look. And so for my listeners, I want you to know that Grace has put this together as a resource so that you can just start there. And this is a way of getting into God's Word. And then from there, you can continue with more study. You can even take the verses that are used on a devotional and read the entire chapter that goes around it for deeper study. So that's a wonderful place to begin. That resource is going to be on the show notes for this episode at michellerayburn.com slash 83. This is episode number 83. I also would like Grace to share her website so that we can find you online as well. It's an easy one to remember. It's gracefox.com. If people Perfect. go there, they can go, they can go to gracefox.com slash blog. And there on the left side, they can find where they can subscribe to my weekly devotional blog or to my free monthly newsletter as well. And if they do that, there are uh, downloads that are free too. Like they can find a collection of 31 scriptures to bring hope. Yeah, so I will link to that in the show notes as well. Also, by the time this episode airs, Grace might have some other resources. So please do go to the show notes at michellerayburn.com slash 83 because she was telling me before we went on air that she does some online Bible studies. And so I'd love to be able to help you with those resources as well. And so for listeners, go and check that out and make sure you get the latest of what's available Online Bible studies have really helped people get through the last 10 months of what's been going on in our world. We're recording this in January, so we're hoping that the rest of 2021 is looking a little bit better than 2020. Grace, before you leave us, what would you like to say to our listeners? I would like to say that we can hang on to hope even in our darkest days. Um, Hope is more than uh, an optimistic outlook. For the believer, hope is a whole attitude of expectant, like an, an anticipation of a good outcome because that outcome is in the hands of God. Mm. And it might not be the outcome that we would like to see, but it's still good in the overall picture because God is good by nature. Hope is ours because of who God is. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. It was nice to get to know you a little bit, and I hope to connect more offline and get to know you even more as a virtual friend in this world of writers and speakers. So thank you, Grace. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a privilege to be with you. We'll be talking more about this topic in the Life Repurposed community on Facebook. So if you would like to discuss more about the same topics that we talked about on this episode with hope and how we can trust God's faithfulness, I invite you to that community. You'll find a link to that in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook for Life Repurposed Community and it will pop up. Thanks for being with us this week, and I will see you next week.
You've been listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn. Check out tips, resources, and inspiration at michellerayburn.com. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or Spotify. I'd also love it if you would like, review, and share the information about this podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for listening.